Hello, Campus Cronies. I'm officially back. So welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I have missed you guys so much. As you know, I'm your host, Nicole Turner, college professor and administrator, and of course, always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my serious crime scale, with 1 being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a 5. For the first episode coming back after my two-month break, I decided to bring you a story that I've been wanting to cover for quite some time now. When an 18-year-old young woman from Portland, Oregon, went to Austin, Texas to study her lifelong passion of dancing, her education and life were tragically cut short after she was the target of a random attack and murder. But the strange thing about this case is, to this day, police still aren't sure of the motive of her killer. It appears to be just that, a random, nonsensical confrontation and assault. But like many other stories we've heard, the fact that there is no apparent reason at all except for some sick person's messed up pleasure or satisfaction or gratification or whatever, it seems to make these cases 10 times worse because we can't explain them away. In a sense, there is no closure and we're just left to find some sort of solace in any way we can, whether that's diving into the story to try to understand more or paying homage to the victim in whatever form that may be. This episode, then, is my way of paying homage to the victim of this story, Haruka Weiser, or her family also pronounces it Hadika, a student at the University of Texas at Austin. So without further ado, let's get started. Haruka Juliana Weiser, Haruka or Hadika, meaning open-minded in Japanese, was born on June 20th, 1997. She was the oldest of three children, having a younger brother, Noboru, and a younger sister, Naomi. The three siblings grew up with their parents, Thomas Weiser and Yasuyo Sunmine in Portland. Haruka most definitely lived her life with intention. She was described as having an adventurous spirit, a kooky sense of humor, and amazing cooking skills. Her friends said she particularly loved to whip up some decadent chocolate desserts. Um, yum, I would definitely be her friend. She excelled in many things and truly enjoyed math and science. But she discovered her true passion of dancing after she took up ballet in the sixth grade. Haruka graduated in 2015 from the Arts and Communications Magnet Academy, a public school in Beaverton, Oregon. While there, she became a member of Dance West, a student dance troupe, which gave her the opportunity to perform with the Oregon Symphony a few times a year. 
but it was during her performance at the National High School Dance Festival where she caught the attention of the dance faculty at the University of Texas. They saw her perform and offered her a full-ride dance scholarship to UT's College of Fine Arts beginning in the fall of 2015. Haruka, a freshman dance and theater major, quickly made friends and got involved on campus. On April 3, 2016, at around 9.30 p.m., Haruka packed up her stuff and headed out the F. Lauren Drama Building after her last dance class of the evening. She was on her way to her dorm in Prather Hall, but because it was so late, she called one of her roommates, Sylvia, to check in and let Sylvia know that she was walking home and would be there soon. Actually, this was the second time she had called Sylvia on this particular night. You see, Haruka had forgotten her keys, so she had originally called her roommate at around 9 p.m. to fill her in and to, you know, make sure Sylvia would be there so she could get into their dorm. Her key ring, which also happened to have a bottle of pepper spray attached to it, was still sitting in her dorm room where she had left it earlier. As Haruka was leaving class that night, she continued texting her friends and roommates while she was walking home. That is, until about 9.40 p.m. when she stopped responding to the texts from her friends. Haruka never made it home that night. According to a Travis County arrest affidavit, Sylvia and other friends of Haruka called police to report her missing the next day, on April 4th, after she failed to show up for her morning classes. Sylvia later said, quote, When she didn't come back to her dorm room, I tried to come up with reasons why she wasn't there. I didn't get a response from Weiser after I texted her multiple times that night, end quote. Haruka's friends told police that she was last seen wearing a long-sleeved black turtleneck, black yoga pants or leggings, and black Doc Martin boots. She had been carrying a blue duffel bag with red handles as well, where she kept her silver MacBook laptop, books, including a book from her parents titled All the Light We Cannot See, in addition to study materials and an extra sweater. The arrest affidavit reports that UTPD did a quick cursory search of the area where she was last seen, but they did not find Haruka or anything out of the ordinary that day. The next day, however, on April 5th, police began a more thorough search. After speaking with Haruka's friends and roommates, they began to canvas the area where Haruka was known to walk and the path she would take across campus, to and from her dorm. Apparently, she liked to take a shortcut along Waller Creek, which runs behind the Alumni Center on campus. Though it was a quite dimly lit path, and although Haruka's father advised her to find a better route, Haruka enjoyed the 10-minute walk because it was pleasant. She particularly enjoyed vacationing outdoors with her family, and Sylvia, her roommate, told the Austin American Statesman that Haruka truly enjoyed the calmness of the walk. So, as police began searching the precise path that Haruka was known to take, that's when they found the remains of a young female with obvious trauma to the body. The young woman was completely naked, and court documents state that she had been placed between two rocks and then covered with branches. There was also a strap around her neck, and she had sustained injuries to her head. It was Haruka. Her body was discovered behind the UT Eder Harbin Alumni Center, located at 2110 San Jacinto Boulevard, along the exact route she regularly walked. An autopsy later revealed that the cause of death was strangulation and blunt force trauma to the head. There was also clear evidence of sexual assault. 
At 11.29 a.m. on April 5, 2016, the University of Texas sent an alert to students, informing them that a body had been found near the Alumni Center and that the death was being investigated as a homicide. Meanwhile, UTPD had to get to work fast as they began their investigation. What is most important here is, remember those items that Haruka had with her? Specifically, the blue duffel bag with red handles? Well, that was nowhere to be found. What police were able to find at the scene, though, was some sort of, quote, biological matter, end quote, according to an affidavit, which they swabbed and packaged for future analysis. They also found at the scene a claw hammer with one claw broken off and a pair of prescription eyeglasses, which did not belong to Haruka. Naturally, their next move was to start looking through the surveillance cameras in the area where Haruka was walking the night of April 3rd after her dance class. And those cameras did not disappoint. While reviewing the surveillance videos, investigators noticed a suspicious black male riding a pink or red bicycle near the College of Liberal Arts building. According to an arrest affidavit, the video showed the man wearing a black jacket, an orange bandana around his neck, gray pants, red or orangish colored athletic shoes, and eyeglasses. It appeared as though he was attempting to open the doors of a van that was parked nearby. He was also carrying a large backpack, which made him look like he was just another college student on campus. This suspicious man initially showed up on surveillance cameras around 9.20 p.m. Shortly after, the man got back onto his bike and then left the area near the liberal arts building, but then he came back around to that same area at about 9.38 p.m., so about 18 minutes later. Meanwhile, at the same time, Haruka was walking past him, or toward him until she eventually walked past him. The arrest affidavit notes that she had her head down and was looking at her cell phone, which is consistent with her texting her friends until about 9.40 p.m. As she passed the man on the bike, he watched her every move, but she wasn't really watching him because she had her head down at her phone the whole time. Now, I'm in no way blaming the victim or anything like that. This was not Haruka's fault. But please, please, always watch where you're going. Don't keep your head glued to your phone, especially when you're walking at night by yourself, especially if you are vulnerable to anything that might be out there like this guy. So, okay, back to the story. In that moment, police could literally see what happened next on the surveillance cameras. They basically watched him scope out his prey. My words, not theirs. But then this man put the kickstand of his bike down, reached into the back of his pants, and pulled out a shiny, rigid object of some sort as he proceeded to follow Haruka down the sidewalk that extends behind the Alumni Center and runs along the west bank of Waller Creek. It was the same path that Haruka took every single day. At this point, both Haruka and the man disappeared from camera view. The suspect did not appear on surveillance again until about 11.47 p.m. This time, though, he was walking alongside that same bike, rather than riding it, and he was moving with a slight limp. According to the affidavit, it appeared that the suspect sustained some type of injury to his leg. His glasses were now missing, and he was now carrying with him a blue duffel bag with red handles. Now that they had a solid suspect, police wasted no time in trying to find out exactly who this dude was. The Daily Texan, UT's campus newspaper, reported that Austin PD held a press conference on April 7th. 
At the conference, they released part of the surveillance video that showed the suspect, and they asked for the public's help in identifying him. And it paid off. One of the first calls they received just a few hours later was from the Austin Fire Department, who told them their suspect matched the description of a person they had encountered three days earlier. Captain David Leonard with AFD told police that they had responded to a fire on April 4th. On that day, at about 8.21 a.m., so that was the next morning after Haruka went missing, firefighters were dispatched to a fire at 2911 Medical Arch Street, which is the same direction in which the suspect was last seen walking toward on surveillance. The fire was specifically at an abandoned building, which was in the process of being like remodeled or renovated, and when they arrived, they found a young black male burning several random items. AFD soon figured out that the young man was a 17-year-old homeless teen, so they called Austin police to assist. After APD arrived, they were able to talk to the young man, and they identified him as Mikael Khalil Kreiner. They ended up taking him to LifeWorks, a shelter for youth in the Austin area, since he had communicated that he was homeless and had no place to go. Meanwhile, the authorities confiscated his belongings for transport and safekeeping, according to the affidavit. Among those things included, you guessed it, a bicycle, actually it ended up being a red woman's bike that Kreiner had been riding, a backpack, and a blue duffel bag with red handles. According to court documentation, Kreiner was told he could take some, but not all, of his belongings with him to the shelter. So, he chose to take the backpack and duffel bag. Then, police and firefighters gathered the remainder of his things and placed them inside a gray trash can outside of the building. One of the firefighters also told Kreiner that he would take one of his bicycles back to the fire station for safekeeping. Yes, you heard that right. Apparently, Kreiner had three different bicycles inside the abandoned building with him, but the one he told the firefighter to take was a red bike with tape on the handlebars. While en route to LifeWorks, the interaction between law enforcement and Kreiner was recorded on video, and from that video, detectives were able to positively identify Kreiner as the suspect from the surveillance footage on campus. Kreiner was wearing the same clothes and shoes, and he had precisely the same physical description and characteristics. To be 100% sure that they had positively identified this guy as the official suspect of Haruka's murder, they took a still photo of the blue duffel bag and showed it to Haruka's friends. One of her friends, who was in class with her the night she was killed, was able to confirm that the blue duffel bag was indeed Haruka's. Regardless, police still had to be thorough because they needed all the evidence they could possibly get against this guy. So, another detective returned to the scene of the fire where Kreiner was burning those random items. Among the ashes, the detective found part of a black Doc Martin boot. According to court documentation, they also found straps and ropes inside the building, including one strap that was described as identical to a strap that was used to kill Haruka. Inside the trash can, where police and firefighters initially stored Kreiner's things, they found more straps, a black turtleneck, black pants, and a sweater that had a receipt in the pocket with Haruka's name on it. Now, it was time for them to bring Kreiner in. So officers went to LifeWorks where they had previously dropped him off, and the affidavit notes that he was originally detained for tampering with evidence. After obtaining a search warrant for Kreiner's room at LifeWorks, though, they found shoes that matched the description of the ones Kreiner was wearing in the surveillance video, as well as a silver MacBook computer 
with a Portland sticker on the front cover, a detail that Haruka's family had shared with police about her MacBook that she used for school. They also found that blue duffel bag with red handles, a nylon strap similar to the one found around Haruka's neck, a backpack, and a book. The title of that book? All the Light We Cannot See, the very book that Haruka's parents had given her before she went to college. Eventually, police seized more items from Kreiner, including a gray calculator and a pencil bag, both with Haruka's name on them. So clearly, this guy had all of her things. The next day, on April 8, 2016, Austin PD announced that they had arrested Kreiner and charged him with the first-degree felony murder of Haruka Weiser. According to the Daily Texan, later that same day, a grand jury indicted Kreiner on multiple charges in addition to capital murder, including sexual assault, attempted kidnapping, and robbery. The Austin American Statesman reported that he was held on a $1 million bail. Now, I'm going to talk about the trial, which happened over two years later in 2018. But before I do, I want to discuss the immediate aftermath of Haruka's death. Naturally, the whole campus was on edge and in mourning. It was, after all, the first homicide at UT since the clock tower shooting in 1966. I actually covered that story on Chronicle 11, titled Texas Tower of Terror, when Charles Whitman climbed to the top of the clock tower in the middle of campus and opened fire, ultimately killing 14 people at UT. So to everyone in the UT community, the campus had been safe, homey, secure for the past 50 plus years. And now, well, it suddenly felt completely unsafe, unsecure. After Haruka's death, Paul Farrell reported for Heavy.com that UT announced that counseling services would immediately be available for students affected by the events. And other friends, family, and fellow UT students took to Twitter to offer condolences and express their grief. One Twitter post read, quote, So young, how can people be so evil? It really saddens me. My heart goes out to Haruka Weiser and her family. End quote. Another Twitter post read, quote, My heart is so heavy for Haruka Weiser's family. Such a tragedy her life was taken so young. Shaking my head, you'd think you'd be safe on campus. God bless. End quote. On Saturday, April 23rd, at least 700 mourners gathered in the Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Beaverton, Oregon for Haruka's funeral. The service was officiated by the Reverend Dave Gutman, who said, quote, Suffering and violence and death does not have the last word. One single random act of violence has inspired thousands of acts of compassion and led to an outpouring of love. Death and evil do not have the last word, end quote. The reverend went on to say, quote, God is with us. The best way to honor Haruka is to live this day and future days in the fullest way possible. Don't be stuck in grief, end quote. Although her family requested that they mourn in peace, rightfully so, and though they had remained somewhat secluded and private since Haruka's death, her younger brother spoke on behalf of the family at her funeral service. Her brother, 16-year-old Noboru Weiser, thanked everyone who had gathered to honor and remember his sister. He said, quote, But while there is sadness in this room, we are grieving about a short time in a life. When we look back at her 18 years, it is a remarkable life, not a sad one. End quote. And y'all, remarkable it was. Her brother recalled happier times, filled with joyful memories he shared with Haruka, sleepovers as children, and how Haruka would lovingly tease him. Of course, a required job of a big sister. 
and also how she was quirky and silly and loved to burp. (laughs) And, of course, dancing was one of Haruka's lifelong passions. In a 2014 Portland Tribune article about dancers preparing for the Portland Ballet, 17-year-old Haruka Weiser was interviewed and she said, quote, Every time before a show, for me at least, it gets really rough. I'll be like, I want to quit. I never want to dance again. And as soon as the show happens, I'm back in it. It really is a rush. There really is nothing like it. And it is so short. To people who maybe are more logical than me, it's not worth it. But somehow that cycle of it just keeps happening over and over again and keeps you going. End quote. However, not only was Haruka a remarkable dancer, but she also had other plans for her life plans to go into the medical field. A family member told the Austin American Statesman that she wanted to eventually double major in dance and medicine after she completed her first year of college. That would actually mean that she was following in the footsteps of her father, Dr. Thomas Weiser. According to a 2016 article in the Austin American Statesman, Thomas Weiser is, or was at the time, a medical epidemiologist with the Portland Area Indian Health Service. Okay, so now I want to go ahead and fast forward to the trial of Mikhail Kreiner. But I don't think you would get the full context of his heinous crime against Haruka without hearing some of his backstory first. Kreiner was originally from Texarkana, Texas, a town on the Texas-Arkansas border. Kreiner grew up in the foster system and was living in Colleen, Texas, with a foster family up until about a week before the attack and murder. According to the Austin American Statesman, Kreiner left his foster family in Colleen unannounced. However, it's important to note that before leaving Colleen, Kreiner had been given a rare form of prescription eyeglasses, as in the prescription was like out of the ordinary, which made them very distinct or unique from other prescription glasses. So remember the glasses they found at the scene of the murder? Yeah, they matched the description of these prescription glasses. Now, I'm not sure exactly how he got to Austin, whether he hitched a ride or caught a bus, but upon his arrival, court documents say that Kreiner stayed in a hospital parking garage for several days before discovering an empty storage room in the UT football stadium on campus. On March 30th, 2016, a member of the football team found some random items inside the storage room that looked majorly out of place. The athlete took a photo of those items, which included ropes, a claw hammer with one claw missing, and a lime green Colleen High School t-shirt. When a representative from the university found out there might be someone living in the storage room, they went to the room and found Kreiner, at which point they also told Kreiner that he could not be in there and that Kreiner needed to gather his things and leave. According to court documents, when the university representative returned later, Kreiner and his belongings were gone. That's when Kreiner moved into the medical arts building that was being renovated, and that's when he began staying there instead of the storage room. So as you can see, or hear, the evidence against Kreiner was stacking up, and it was some pretty damning and solid evidence that pointed directly to his guilt. The trial began July 11, 2018, and it was expected to last until July 20th, according to the reporting of Megan Menchaca for the Daily Texan. However, the jury ended up only hearing testimony for seven days before deliberating and delivering the verdict. From the jump, Kreiner pleaded not guilty. He actually elected to take the stand at the trial, and he claimed that, on the night in question, the night Haruka was attacked and murdered, 
He had gone back to the hospital parking garage that he was originally staying in to charge his computer and cell phone. Afterward, he testified that he went straight back to the medical arts building before nightfall, and he claimed that he did not leave the building that night at all. He also, like, laughed and smirked the whole time during his trial, which was, or during the whole time that he was on the stand, which was super weird and odd, of course. As for the next morning, Kreiner testified that he had basically went dumpster diving and he said that's where he found the red bike, as well as multiple bags containing ropes, clothes, and a laptop. He further denied killing Haruka or even seeing her, stating that he did not have the red bike on the day the murder occurred. He also discussed losing his own personal hammer before he was kicked out of the stadium storage room, and he said the eyeglasses found at the scene were not his. But, of course, the prosecution poked all sorts of holes in his story, and they, of course, brought up all of the evidence they had found in his possession, all of Haruka's personal belongings. Not to mention, they also had some DNA evidence that was brought up at the trial, too. Yep, that's right. So I mentioned a lime green Colleen High School t-shirt a little earlier, something Kreiner had in his possession when he was caught in the storage room at the UT Stadium. Well, that happened to be one of the items police found in the trash can where they had initially placed his stuff for safekeeping. And as the shirt and other items were being inventoried by police, court documentation notes that a hair was discovered on that lime green shirt. Mitochondrial DNA testing later determined that the hair excluded over 99% of the population of North America, including Kreiner himself, so it wasn't Kreiner's hair, as, you know, potential sources of the hair. But the hair could not exclude Haruka and her maternal relatives, meaning, obviously, the hair belonged to Haruka, and it was on Kreiner's shirt. Apparently, though, Kreiner made an oral motion to suppress the items recovered from the trash can because he was trying to say, like, that was, like, his own personal space. But the district court denied that motion. After seven days of testimony, the jury of seven women and five men deliberated for about ten hours. The verdict? Life in prison with the possibility of parole in 40 years. According to the Daily Texan, the jury foreman explained the rationale of the verdict. The foreman said they wanted to ensure the state had proved their case beyond a reasonable doubt, and the jury believed that was accomplished. The foreman said, quote, There was just way too many things that lined up to be coincidences. When you combine all of the elements together to be a coincidence at that point, it just becomes so implausible it's unbelievable, end quote. Haruka's father, Dr. Thomas Weiser, stood up at the trial and directly addressed Kreiner after the verdict was read. According to the reporting of Molly Oak for KVUE in Austin, Thomas Weiser said, quote, You brutally raped her and then you mercilessly killed her, and I can see that the truth of that means nothing to you. I promise you this, the Texas State Board of Paroles and Pardons will need to build a new room to hold all the letters that I and everyone that loves Haruka will be writing to make sure that your twisted fantasies remain just that. Now, I thought the prosecution did a great job. With all due respect, they got one thing wrong. In their closing argument, they said that Haruka did not prevail. That's not entirely true, is it? I think you messed with the wrong girl that night. Now, although the story is a tragic example of pure evil that seems to be lurking around the corner when we least expect it, Haruka's death did lead to some affirmative changes on the University of Texas campus. 
The Texas Department of Public Safety reviewed UT's safety and security measures and recommended that UT hire more police officers to patrol the 431-acre campus. They also recommended better lighting in dimly lit areas, as well as the removal of dense vegetation around Waller Creek, you know, where Haruka liked to walk, to improve visibility in walking areas. Fox 7 in Austin reported that, ultimately, UT spent $13 million to increase its security infrastructure, and the college also hired at least 13 new police officers. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 36. As always, be sure to check out my social media where I always post photos associated with each episode. You can find me at Campus Crime Podcast on Instagram and Campus Crime Chronicles on Facebook. You can reach me by email at campuscrimepodcast at gmail.com and be sure to check out my TikTok. I know I haven't been posting a lot on there during the break and I really meant to, (laughs) but it's just been so busy, but I am so excited to be back with you guys and I will post more stuff to TikTok. You can mark my words on that. So be looking on there for some more stories. Um, Okay, well, that's all for today. So bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gassaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.